Today's video was recorded on January 31st, 2023, and today's lesson is the third in our series on God's appointed feasts. Today, we're going to explore the meal that Jesus had with his disciples, what we refer to as the Last Supper, and we're going to see how that meal compares to the elements that are found in a traditional Passover celebration. Now, that Passover celebration meal today is called a Seder. Then what we're going to do is we're going to look at a seating chart of sorts of that meal, and we're going to see how knowing that basic seating arrangement from the first century, it helps you understand some of the things that are going on in the Gospels. And in particular, we're going to see the absolute genius manner in which Jesus interacts with Judas. It's actually really interesting once you can see where they're sitting and connect all the references. Now, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. It used to be a big red button, but they've changed it. So depending on how you have your screen set up, it's either going to be a black button or a white button. Either way, make sure you subscribe to our channel. You can also find us in podcast format, either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Podcasts obviously make it easier to take the lesson with you. So you can follow our show, turn on automatic downloads. That always helps us and the algorithms. And then make sure you leave us a rating and a comment. We always appreciate any feedback on our lessons. Okay, so we hope you enjoyed this lesson on the Last Supper and whether in it you can see the elements of a Passover meal. I think you'll really enjoy this one and be pleasantly surprised. All right, so I put there on the screen, you can see Passover meal with a question mark. Now, clearly, I'll show you in Luke. Jesus says, I've been looking forward to eating this Passover, but I just want you to know there is a debate going on. Was it an official Passover meal? Because if Jesus is the Passover lamb that ends up on the cross, then what's the meal that he's eating with his disciples? And so there's a lot of confusion. I'm not going to promise that we'll be able to solve it all today, but I just want to show you there's so much of what's in a Passover meal shows up in that Last Supper that, boy, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck, well, it's probably a duck. But you'll always find some scholar that'll say, no, it isn't. So just so you know, there's a gigantic debate. So this is the third week in our series on the Lord's appointed feast, God setting an appointment for us to come in worship, and it's all part of this plan of redemption, as we'll see today. All right, this picture in the background, those of you who've been to a Passover Seder, you'll recognize the, a lot of the, the stuff that's uh, here on the table. That's a Passover plate, cup of wine, and the matzah. Those are all symbols that go on with the Passover meal, and we'll talk about some of those tonight. But really, it's a, it's a huge debate, and I think that it's clear that the New Testament writers are telling us that it's a Passover. Now, it's definitely associated with Passover. So, some people say, yes, it's obvious. We see all the symbolism. Others say, no, it's not. But I think the most important thing is, is where is Jesus ending up on the day that he needs to be the Passover lamb, right? At the temple Passover and the temple sacrifice. That's where God, and I think all of the stuff we're going to talk about the Last Supper, is it a Passover? Well, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the lamb, and that's the most important thing. So we'll let everybody just debate, but let's 
let's go in. Let's see if there's possibly a Passover Seder. So we, we've gone over this passage a couple times. It's in Luke. And so what Jesus says is, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, eat this Passover. Well, if you take that literally, then you would say they're eating a Passover. He's clearly in the realm of Passover. So we're going to trust the words of Jesus, and we're going to say, yep, we're right there. Now, what we could say, is it the Seder that is celebrated today? Well, clearly there have been some changes over time. It probably wasn't as formalized as a Passover Seder. But the thing is, is that there's an element of human nature, right? You don't go hundreds of years trying to obey God's commands. Have a holiday such as Passover, especially under the rule of, the, of Rome. You're looking for a Messiah. You don't do that for hundreds of years and not come up with traditions. I mean, it, you know, you, all of you know this, right? You, you bake a meal on a certain holiday, and then the next year you do it again, and by four years later, everybody expects that meal to be there. Because that's what human nature is. It, it happens. It drives us towards creating traditions and finding meaning. And so you can clearly see that stuff is being put together, whether it's as formalized in the, the idea of a Seder. I put on your handout under number one, the word Seder simply means order. You eat a meal, it goes in a certain order, you tell the story of the past or of the Exodus out of Egypt. That's all Seder means, but it describes the whole meal. At the bottom of your sheet, and I mentioned this under uh, number one, there's a scholar by the name of David Dobb. Well, he passed away in 1999. He's Jewish, not Christian, but he's Talmudic scholar, uh, expert in Roman law, biblical law, and New Testament Judaism. And so he has a book, New Testament and Rabbinic Judaism. Let me put that book up here. This is a great resource for all kinds of things that are going on inside the New Testament. So I definitely would recommend, if you don't have this in your library, it's an excellent one to have uh, in your library. And one thing he mentions is that messianic expectations had developed around the Passover. And of course, that gets amplified when you're ruled by an oppressive foreigner like the Roman Empire. Right? So the holiday that God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, well, they're looking for that Messiah, somebody like a second Moses, to come lead them out from underneath the, the oppression of the Roman Empire and restore the kingdom. Well, it turns out the Messiah did show up, right? But Jesus, he's not showing up in the way that they're looking for him. They want a king to lead them out, to show them power and might. He says, nope, I'm going to show you forgiveness loving your neighbor, devotion to covenant, devotion to God, right? All the way to the point of death. That's how you bring the reign of God to earth. And of course, many people didn't like that. So anyways, uh, David Dobb is a great resource. And of course, in that book, he connects this clearly to a, a Passover meal. So I want to start out with a little bit about celebration. Because you could read 10 different scholars, you'll have 10 different opinions, and they're all drawing from information that's coming around that first century Judaism. But sometimes I think of, we think of first century Judaism 
as one thing and one thing only. But it's, it's really not. So let me just go through this real quick. If we look at the, the Mediterranean, the, on your screen there's the Mediterranean. So the blue part is obviously the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem sits right here, southeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. Little slice of God's creation, but on all sides they've got these huge empires, right? So Jerusalem is like the crossroads of everybody. That's pretty cool. God put them, he put his, his people right out on I-5 in California or wherever. So everybody can see it. Everybody has to cross through there. So down to the south, you have Egypt, you have Greece up to the northwest here on my map, uh, upper left, Ephesus or Turkey. And then, of course, over in, if you go to the east, you have Babylon. So if we say, look, we tend to think of Judaism as monolithic. It's one solid thing and everybody does exactly the same thing. But that's not true. It's much more divided, very much like Protestantism. Even within Christianity, we have different customs and different ways of looking at things. So Judaism isn't as monolithic as we sometimes think it is. So if you just look at that ancient world, of course you have the Judaism that exists right around the temple. That's kind of what we mostly deal with, is that Judaism right around the temple in Jerusalem. But you also have a thriving Jewish community down in Alexandria, Egypt. Greek-speaking, thriving community. They love to get converts. Uh, sometimes they were criticized by the Judeans as not being strict enough in getting their converts. So Alexandria, Egypt was a thriving Jewish population. Asia Minor, where Ephesus is and Sardis and all those great cities, they had a thriving Jewish community. Babylon. Babylonian Jews. There's a, some Jewish writings called Babylonian Talmud. There's a thriving Jewish community in Babylon. Many of them never left after the exile. And the ones that came back recently, well, they settled in Galilee. So you have Babylonian influence, and they had their own customs and ways of looking at things. So if we go a little closer on the map, anyways, the whole point in this, right, the whole point on that is you really get, it's almost like little different schools of Judaism rather than one monolithic Judaism. So if we go closer into Israel, here's Jerusalem again. In the south, you have Judea. In the north, you have Galilee. And of course, Jesus is, lives in Galilee. His disciples are Galilean. Many Galileans were recent immigrants to Israel from Babylon, brought with them customs like rabbis and disciples and synagogues that they didn't have around the temple because you had priests and, you know, you had the temple, right? You don't need a synagogue when you have the temple. So even they have, and here's the thing, if you live in Galilee, we had this question last week, do you follow every single precept that's from the book of Exodus? And the answer is no, because if you're in Galilee, you're not obligated to go to the temple every year. It's outside the bounds. I think it's like 30 miles they, that you, they would expect that you would make it to the temple. So Galilee is outside of that. You didn't have to go every year. And you don't have the temple, so you don't do a sacrifice, a, a lamb. But you can still celebrate the Unleavened Bread Festival. So there's going to be some differences that over time build up. That's, 
and the Galileans and the Judeans didn't always get along. Okay, next, if we go even closer to Jerusalem, so Jerusalem sits up in those mountains, and if you go just to the east of Jerusalem, that big body of blue there, that's the Dead Sea. You go down into that rift valley that's 1,400 feet below sea level, and you have the city of Jericho, and then you have this. There's a, now many of you have been here, Qumran, right on the edge of the Dead Sea, was a place where a whole bunch of people went out to live. And this, is, this becomes very important because Qumran is the home of what we, they believe, scholars believe the Essenes moved out there. And the Essenes were priests who rejected the temple authority. They said, you are a corrupt temple, and we are going to move, and we're going to be the true Israel, and we're going to live out in the desert. And so they have customs. In fact, one of the things, they had a completely different calendar system than the temple did in Jerusalem. And now you've got two different calendar systems, two different Passovers. So the Passover at the temple is going to be on a different day than the Passover that would be celebrating at Qumran. Now, why do we need to know this? Why do I need to go into all of this? Well, first of all, because as you read scholar, if you read any scholars about whether it was a Passover or not, they'll always bring in outside customs. So we have to know that nothing was monolithic. The second, though, is this group called the Essenes. So by the time King Herod was around, the Essenes were on his good side, and King Herod gave them a quarter in Jerusalem. And so if we, now this is a, you're not going to be able to see that map too well, but most of your Bibles have a map of Jerusalem in the back. And if you happen to look at the map of Jerusalem, in the bottom, the southwest corner of Jerusalem, is a quarter of the city called the Essene Quarter. So let me, zoom, let me zoom this in a little bit. And so if you can see that on your screen, the Essene Quarter, they even found the Essene Gate. And that's a whole interesting thing of why they needed a gate there. But the, the idea is, the Essenes had a quarter of, of, the, of the city, and the Essenes didn't get along with the temple authority. Well, neither did Jesus, right? The Essenes celebrated a messianic banquet. And the Essenes even had a prophecy on their calendar system that the Messiah would be born somewhere around 3 BC to 2 AD. That's, or, uh, that's how we reckon time. Now, on top of that, to make it even, even better, the location of the Last Supper is right here. It's in the middle of the Essene quarter, in what we call the upper room today. So Jesus takes his disciples into the Essene quarter. That's the man carrying water. Why? Why was the man carrying water? Because there was no women. Many of the Essenes didn't marry. And that's, even though Jesus isn't an Essene, he doesn't get married. And Pharisees would get married. Essenes, not all of them did. So you can see what's happening now. Their calendar system was different. So many scholars say, ah, you know what? If he's going into the Essene quarter and he's celebrating a meal, it may be to them their Passover because he's on that calendar system. And so it might not be that he's somehow cheating 
but he's in the area where you celebrate Passover on a, on a different day. And so it might be legitimate to have that. I only bring that up because so much of that connects to what's going on in our Bible. Okay? So, was it a Last Supper? Or, I'm sorry, was the Last Supper a Passover meal? Well, again, we're probably not going to completely solve that today, but I want to show you some details that are going to come right out of a Passover meal that we're going to find in the text. And again, the most important thing, the greater issue is not the meal so much as it is, is where is Jesus at the time of the Passover sacrifice at the temple? What is being communicated to those people in the first century where three o'clock he's on the cross? Okay, that's what we dealt with last week. So that kind of trumps all issues. So, okay, now that was only number one. Let's go to number two. Gospel details. So there's so much in the Gospels. I can only go over a few of them, but there's so much that's going to help us understand what's going on at that Last Supper and does it match up with a Passover Seder? And the answer, I think, is yes. So uh, if you look first under number two, one of the uh, customs at a Passover Seder is to recline the wealthy recline and on Passover you're all wealthy. So you would you would either be on the floor with cushions or you might be on something called the triclinium. I'll show you that a picture of it in a minute. But it's custom to recline. And of course that's what our gospels tell us. They're reclining to eat. Now, unfortunately, what's our image of the Last Supper? Right? Well it looks like this and none of them are reclining. Right? That's how that art has so affected the way that we think about this meal. But none of them here are reclining. Now, let me point out two characters in this. Judas is right here. So Judas is right there in the uh, picture. And that'll be important because I'm going to show you where Judas was actually sitting. And then John is right here. He's right next to Judas. But this so drives our image of what the Last Supper would have looked like. But it probably would be, well, this is, this is obviously an artist's rendering, but this is a, a triclinium. Tri, meaning three sides. Kleine, like reclining. A couch. A three-sided couch. And the food is then delivered uh, to the middle. And so here's a different picture of it. You can tell artists uh, have a hard time. They, they want to make sure all the faces face forward so not everybody is reclining to their left. You always recline on your left hand. You eat with your right hand because the right hand is the clean hand. The left hand in the Middle East is the dirty hand. You do not eat with that hand or shake anybody's hand or anything like that. So that's a, that's a triclinium. They're found everywhere, everywhere. In fact, here's one. This is Herod the Great. Herod the Great built a palace. This is his triclinium. And you can see there's one side over here to the left. There's a side over here in the back. And there's a side over here to the right. That's at the Herodian in Israel. But triclinians are everywhere, all over the Mediterranean. I'll show you too, like I mentioned, that artists don't like to, they don't want to paint the back of somebody's head, right? So you have this guy. Look at this guy in the top here. He's eating with his left hand. He'd be kicked out of the table because you don't eat with your left hand. Same with the guy down here in the front. You lay on your left side, okay? And that's going to be important. This, this lesson helps us understand where everybody's sitting and how they're communicating at that Last Supper. Okay, so they're reclining, triclinium. We'll talk about matzah, the unleavened bread, because they're going into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that'll be part of the Passover. Something 
called Bitter Herbs to remember the bitterness of being enslaved. So you have bitter herbs, and that recalls the, uh, the, the slavery. Of course, you'll wash it down with some wine, and that, of course, makes you, makes you glad. The next thing, four cups of wine. This is going to be obviously central because one of those cups of wine is central to the, what Jesus is communicating about his death. This picture is not on your handout. It would have been a four-page handout if everything was on here that I wanted on here. But four cups of wine. You'll see how this plays out at the meal. The whole Passover is structured around four cups of wine. Okay, now why? Well, we'll get to that in a second here. So you have one, two, two cups of wine during the meal. So this line here divides during the meal to after the meal. Now you can see why the disciples are so tired in the garden afterwards. So one, two, then you have three, four cups of wine. That's the four cups for the whole meal. I'll show you where this comes from. They have names. The first one, the cup of sanctification. Then you have the cup of deliverance. You have the cup of redemption. And then the final one, the cup of consummation. Okay? Now, where do they come from? Well, I put this on your sheet next to the four cups of wine. In the interest of time, I'm just going to put it up. You'll, I think you'll get the point. It comes from the Exodus itself. God says to them, he has four different expressions of redemption. So God's going to say to the Israelites, says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So I will bring you out. There's one expression. I will free you from being slaves. Second expression, I will free you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Third one, I will redeem you. And then finally, he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And this, that last one, I will take you. And then you will know that I am the, the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So you have four expressions of redemption. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you. And of course, it's, it's hard in our modern uh, Bibles reading this in English because there's some things about the Hebrew we miss. We miss when we see our English, okay? So these four expressions of redemption, I will bring you out. They're all different Hebrew words. You don't need to know them. I'm just putting them up to show you that they're different words. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. That's not Saul. I'll redeem you. Uh, that's Gaal. Now, this is why week one of this series was all about redemption, because the Gaal is the kinsman redeemer who brings you back into the Father's house. And that's what Jesus is going to say, right? I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. That's not only redemption language, but it's also marriage language. And so the final one, I will take you. And that one has to do with marriage. And so what we see is that redemption comes in multiple stages. The first one is a saving act. I brought you out. But now we have a relationship to enter. And so increasingly, it gets more intimate. First, you're welcomed back into the Father's house. And then the second metaphor is a marriage. And that's the ending of Exodus. It's also the ending of Revelation. We're waiting for the, 
we're the bride of Christ and we're waiting for the bridegroom to come get us. And so it's this amazing metaphor of redemption. That's why we spent so much time on redemption. So when you go back to these cups here, that's what they're named after. And so what we're going to see is Jesus after the meal. So he goes to the third cup after the meal. That's the cup of redemption. He, that's what he, he is, the, kings, the kinsman redeemer. And he chooses this cup, the cup of redemption. And this is where he's going to say, this cup of wine represents the, my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And that's, those are the most amazing words ever. So it's significant that it's the cup of redemption. Now, he's also going to say, and just so you know, there's a variance between Mark and Luke. Mark, this one comes after Jesus has talked about his, the covenant. And he says, I will not drink again until the kingdom has fully come. That's the cup of consummation. It's consummating your, your wedding. We're waiting for our bride to come get us and we'll consummate. It's, it's a metaphor for how closely we're going to be with God. So you can see that this whole thing, uh, even the Last Supper, is all set in that big metaphor from Passover, from the Exodus. And so important to note where those cups of wine, what Jesus is talking about. Um, really important, but very cool to see. And we'll get back to it in a minute when he talks about the, the bread and the wine. Okay, so four cups of wine. That's central to a, uh, a Passover meal. And we see the cups of wine happening there in the Gospels. And then the last one we'll talk about is one that's a little bit strange. This is called the afikomen. Now, afikomen, that's a Greek word that's borrowed. It's a borrow word, comes into the Hebrew writings on the Passover, but it's Greek. And one of the strange things is the rabbis don't know how it got there. They're just not sure how that thing got there. And David Dobb, who I mentioned in the, in the beginning, he suggests that by the first century, this afikomen takes on messianic significance, and that's exactly what we'll see tonight. So afikomen is, has to do with the matzah, but it's a, it's a ritual that's going on during the Passover meal that has to do with matzah. Okay, and you'll see how, I, God willing, you'll see exactly how it fits in with what Jesus is saying. So it's a mystery still how that afikomen got into a Passover meal. Um, okay. Now, we're on to number three. Those are the details, and then we'll, we'll pick up a couple as we go along. But the first one, and this one is, I love teaching this because people are like, oh, that's what's going on in the text. It finally makes some sense because we have our old, you know, we have our Last Supper image from Da Vinci, but boy, it just doesn't apply to what's going on there in the text. So number three, it's a triclinium. The tricline, three-sided table. Okay, so they have a triclinium. Luke tells us that disciples went into Jerusalem. They found a man carrying water, likely that Essene. They're in the Essene quarter. They go up for the meal. The Essenes had a, had a messianic-type banquet. Now, all of us want to place Jesus right in the middle of the table, right? So he can sit there and see everybody. But that's not Eastern. That's not how it goes. So Jesus would be right here. And he's the honored guest. And he's the honored guest because he's the oldest. 
So he's the honored guest, while Annie's the rabbi. Now, you have to remember, I can't, I, can't, I couldn't get a picture of, of, a, of a guy laying on his side. So remember, he's facing that direction. He's facing, Jesus is on, leaning on his left hand, facing that direction, if you see that little blue arrow. Okay, that's the honored guest. Then you're going to have two people, one on his left and one on his right. And then, of course, all the rest of the disciples are going to fill in. So you fill in around the table. Now, if Jesus is the honored guest, oh, and, and then everybody here is going to be facing. So everybody, of course, is laying on their side. They're all, they're, so you're, you're basically facing the back of the person next to you. And someone is facing your back, okay? So everybody's facing in this direction. On Jesus' right hand, so he would be looking at the back of the head of the youngest guest. And then the second honored guest is right behind him. So you have Jesus as the honored guest, the youngest, that's the same as a Passover today. The elder male is the head of the table. The youngest sits next to him. And then you have the honored guest on his other side. Now, way over on the other side of the table, over here, where that red circle is, that's Peter. He's the foot washer. Because in the Middle East, of course, you get dust all over your feet. So one person's designated as the foot washer. That's Peter. Okay? So this is how they're all seated. Well, we don't know exactly where Nathaniel was compared to, you know, Matthew or whatever. But then what you do is you put the food on the table and three to four different people will share a bowl. So Jesus is going to share a bowl with two people, the youngest and the honored guest. Okay? So that's the table. Not exactly like Da Vinci painted it, but closer to the reality of what's going on there in the first century. Now we're going to go to the text because the text is going to now start to reflect this picture right here. So what I want you to do is turn in your Bible to John 13. So if you go to John 13, we're going to read some, and this will show us where people are showing up around the table. So it's communal eating. That's why you, your right hand, your clean hand, you're sticking it in a, a bowl of food, right? Nobody wants you to eat with your other hand and uh, contaminate the food. Okay, so John 13, we're going to start at verse 18. We'll eventually get to, he's going to talk about the fulfillment of a passage of scripture. We'll get to that in a second. So here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I've chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. So we've got something from the Old Testament. He who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now, shared my bread. That means somebody's sitting next to Jesus sharing his bread. Okay? Then he goes on. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does, you will believe that I ha am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Obviously God. Okay? Next. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. Here's where it starts to get good. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, who's the disciple whom Jesus loved? 
John. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Oh, now we know he's reclining next to Jesus. Peter, on the other side of the table, says, Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, Ask him which one it is. Okay, now next verse. Watch what John does. How's John going to ask Jesus? Leaning back against Jesus. So where's John sitting? He's in the youngest position. He's right next to Jesus. He's at Jesus' right hand. He leans back into Jesus' chest because he's got his back to Jesus. So John, leaning back against Jesus, asked him, Who is it? Okay? So if we go back to this picture right here, and you may want to jot this down on your notes, the youngest, that's the person who would be reclining with his back to Jesus, the youngest, and that is John. So John's sitting at his right hand. That's why he can lean into Jesus as they're eating. Okay? So this is John's position right here. Now let's go on, because we need to figure something else out. So look at verse 26, because now Jesus is going to tell us, I'm telling you folks, this is genius, the way he's going to do this. It's brilliant. And he's using a technique. It's called remez. Uh, remez is a type of technique the rabbis used. They want to get your mind to, to think something, so they give you a hint. And when your mind starts to complete the sentence or it knows the verses around what I just said, you get the picture of what's going on. Okay? So Jesus says, It is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. Well, we say Iscariot. So who's sitting next to Jesus? Judas. Okay? Because they're laying down. Now, let me just real quick. We see this word, Judas Iscariot, as if Iscariot is his last name. Kind of like Mr. and Mrs. Christ gave birth to Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. Right? Christ is a title. He's Jesus the Christ. He's Jesus of Nazareth. This is Judas Ish, so here's, the, here's how it goes. In Hebrew, the word for man is ish. So, ish and Kiriot is a city in Judea. Uh, Judas is the only Judean of the bunch. So, they're calling him Judas, ish, Kiriot. Ish, the man from Kiriot. Ish means man. We kind of put that together and call him Iscariot. But that's very anglicized, and that's not really his name. Anyways, I just wanted to point that out about Judas. Okay, now, so he dips the piece of bread. He hands it to Judas, right? In fact, in Mark, it says, uh, the one who dips bread in the bowl with me. That's even more descriptive. Who's dipping in the bowl with Jesus? Well, John's on one side, and Judas is on the other. So he's dipped it in the dish, and then you get dips in the, in the bowl with me. So if we go back to this picture, who's, who's the second honored guest? Judas. And you just have to think about that. It's what Jesus is doing. So we have Judas sitting next to the... I, I mean, 
if you're Judas and you've betrayed, you've betrayed your uh, rabbi, where do you want to be sitting, right? Somewhere like way over here on the other side of the table where you definitely don't have to look at him, right? You get that, that sinking feeling you've just betrayed Jesus. You don't want to look at him. You want to be next to like Matthew or Nathaniel or something. You want to be as far away from Jesus as possible. Maybe on the end where you don't have to. Jesus says, no, no, Judas, come here. Sit right next to me. You're the second honored guest. Now, it's brilliant because he's going to use the text of the Bible to explain Jesus's, or Judas's betrayal. But we have to know that the, the reason they're dipping from the same piece of, or bowl of food is because he's sitting right next to him. And that's just turning the screws. Now, it's going to get worse here for Judas, as if it could get worse, but it's going to get worse for Judas because of the text that Jesus is quoting. But let me show you something else that he does. Okay. One of the elements of the Passover is bitter herbs. I mentioned that. Why? Because God says it was, it's to remind you of the bitterness of slavery. And what you do is you take some of the matzah and you dip the bitter herbs and you eat it. And the bitterness of sin, it's supposed to be a very tactile reminder of what sin tastes like. The bitterness of sin. So you, every year you experience this. This would be great with your kids where they have to eat the, the bitter herbs. So we saw, Jesus says, I dipped it in the dish, right? The dipping the piece of bread. Well, what's he dipping out? He's dipping out bitter herbs. Now, why is that important? Well, because he's going to dip the bitter herbs and say, now, Judas, eat this. And the next sentence, he says, well, after Satan entered him, he says, now go. Do what you need to do and do it quickly. And what's powerful about this is, is the last piece of food, which is supposed to be the afikomen, the last piece of food for Judas is the bitter herbs. The bitterness of his sin is now carried out into the cold Jerusalem night. And he's got to walk around with that taste in his mouth. And the one thing he doesn't get to drink is the cup of redemption, the third cup. So it's brilliant what Jesus is doing as he's weaving this together. It's totally twisting. I mean, he's putting the screws to, to Judas. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant how he's got this choreographed. Now, one thing we have to look at is, and this is number uh, five. If you look at number five on your sheet, Psalm 41.9, right? This is where he's going to use the hint method, Psalm 41.9. Let's look at it. Well, first of all, uh, he. John in John 13, he says, here, we're going to fulfill the scripture. He who has shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And then we have to go to Psalm 41.9. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, as I mentioned, this is called a remez. Jesus quotes one portion of Psalm 49.9, not the whole thing. And all of his disciples know the rest of it, and especially Judas. He knows his Bible, and this is going to probably crush him, okay? So Psalm 41.9, this is where the verse comes from, and it starts out, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. What's the point of Jesus doing this? Not only did he lift up his heel against him, 
What's he telling Judas? Judas, you were my friend. And you betrayed me. Judas, I trusted you. You carried the money. How could you do this? Now, some scholars think, they think Judas was a zealot. The one, one zealot town down in Judea is Kiriot. And they think that Judas is a zealot and he, uh, Jesus won't go to war against Rome. Ah, you know what? If I betray him and hand him over to Rome, he'll have to fight. And Jesus doesn't. But this is the point of, that, of quoting that verse. He's telling Judas, you are my friend. I trusted you and you betrayed me. That would be even worse. You're sitting right next to him and you just want to go hide because you just betrayed Jesus. So it's absolutely brilliant what Jesus is doing here. And he's communicating it with all of the elements of the Passover meal and through a text that he's going to slip in there because he says, Judas, sit, sit right next to me. You're the second guest of honor. Okay, hopefully, hopefully that came through clear. Let's finish up. I need to talk about this thing called the Afikomen because this one will just blow your mind. This is the one that everybody gets so excited about at a messianic or a messianic seder. And this is the one David Dobb mention, mentions took on messianic significance in the first, first century. Okay? And it has to do with matzah. It's a ritual within the Passover seder. So here's what it looks like. I can, uh, the best way to describe it. You take three pieces of matzah right at the very beginning of the meal. And they're inside of a little baggie, three of them. And then you say, okay, take the middle matzah out. Okay, so there's a three and something's in the middle. And you take the middle matzah and you break it. And the, one of the pieces becomes the afikomen. Okay, I'll tell you what that means in a minute. Sometimes they translate it dessert, but the afikomen. Okay, now think about this. Give me something from your Old Testament that's in threes. Okay, so for instance, what Jews say today is, ah, priests, Levites, Israelites. Those are the three. You're like, okay, well, that's three, but is the middle one broken? Are the Levites broken? Why would you break the Levites? Okay, that's not it. How about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, that one's better, right? Because Isaac is. The binding of Isaac, Isaac is broken. So that's one idea. What's another one we might come up with? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And which one's broken? The middle one, right? So you have a strange ceremony, the breaking of the middle one, and it's in this Jewish Passover. So if we go back to this, you break that middle one. Now here's, it gets better. Now you're going to hide it away. You get out a cloth. You put the cloth, maybe like a linen something over it, and the, the, the afikomen gets hidden away for the whole meal. And then when the, when the meal is over, so we're over with the meal, and now we're up to the third cup of wine, guess what happens? The afikomen comes back out. It reappears, and the linen is removed. And when you remove the linen, what do you have? You have the broken middle matzah. And now this becomes the very last thing you eat at a Passover Seder. 
It's the dessert. So you take the, you take the piece, the whole piece that went out, and everybody is going to pass it around the table, and you're going to break off your own little piece of it. It's not like it's just representative. You're about to eat this, right? So here's what it says in Luke. This is now Luke 22, 19. It's after dinner. So after the meal, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks, and he broke it. Now that's the afikoman. He's breaking a piece off. And he says to them, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, he took the bread, right, after the meal. He breaks it. He breaks off a little piece of the afikoman. He gives it to everybody else. They're going to do the same thing. Now, here's the important thing. This is my body. That's what the afikoman represents. It's the broken middle. And he says, now this is me. I'm the broken middle. I'm the one, right? Now, this is where people, when they talk about the afikoman, you get this phrase, do this in remembrance of me. Now, what is this? So this is my body. That's the afikoman. Do this in remembrance of me. And so if you go to a messianic seder, like Rabbi Barney says, the this is when you celebrate Passover, right? The, a Jew would say, or a messianic Jew would say, Jesus isn't telling you to stop pe- celebrating Passover. He's saying when you celebrate the Passover and you get to the middle matzah and you take a bite for, of that middle matzah as the dessert, that's me. That's my body. Now, I know our tradition, we've got, we've, we have the Eucharist out of that, but I just want you to know that's what, uh, that if, you go to, if you go to a Messianic Seder, that's what you're doing, okay? So the this is the afikomen. And what does afikomen mean? Ah, it means the coming one. So you've got, it perfectly represents Jesus. It's right there inside of a Jewish Passover. And it's in, you can see it inside of that uh, Last Supper. And it just blows my mind because he's very particularly, and it's taken on messianic meaning, and he's very particularly using the elements of the Passover. The wine, I'm not going to drink the wine until we consummate in heaven. The matzah, it's all right there. But it's just we have to be aware of it. We have to have eyes to see the details inside the text. So. Let me, let me wrap up. This is the review. I'll just mention a couple of the highlights. I know that I just put a lot of information on you guys, but you recline. That's what the text tells us. The text says they're reclining at the meal, and you recline because you're wealthy on Passover. And John leans back into the chest of Jesus. The only way that can happen, unless he's sitting on his lap, is if they're laying on their side, reclining on their side. Judas, then, this is the one that blows me away. He's the second honored guest. And it's genius what, he, what Jesus does with the bitter herbs. He sends him away into the night. You know, no cup of redemption. And then the afikoman, it's just the last thing you eat at the meal. It's the dessert of the meal. And it's the broken middle one that Jesus is pointing out. Of course, that's called the coming one. Um, okay, so that's a lot of stuff. 
thankfully, this will be a video that you can go back and watch it again in a few days if you, if you choose to. It really does take a little bit of time and meditation to put all these details together. But when it does, you can start, the, the things start jumping out at you as, we, uh, as you're reading The Last Supper.